Well, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Thank you to Crotes and Vandalins for that message and song. It's the message of the cross, and Jesus was there for us. It's the personal side of that message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to be looking at just three verses this morning, verses 13 to 16. In verse 13, I'll read, and we also give thanks constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it really is the Word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and to displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Lord, just this morning, ask for clarity of thought quickness of presentation, Lord, and just the ability to speak freely. So, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first words in this verse 13, thanking God, we give thanks. In the original language is the word eucharisteo. Eucharist is a word that might sound familiar to some of us, perhaps if we've grown up in a Catholic tradition, it should seem a little bit familiar. And uh, even those of us who may not be familiar with the Catholic upbringing uh, would recognize that the word Eucharist probably is associated with the Catholic Mass. But what is the Eucharist? What is it? Well, in, the Catholic, in Catholicism, the Eucharist refers to the moment in the service where the bread and the wine become the blood and body of Jesus Christ and then is distributed to the congregation. According to the Catechism, the Eucharist is thus a sacrifice because it represents or makes present the sacrifice of the cross. That's the Catholic Catechism. That's the teaching. It's teaching that the the body and blood are there in the elements and becomes re-sacrificed again as it becomes present in this situation. But the Bible actually, and along with all Protestant churches, see communion as a remembrance of the once-for-all sacrifice. We don't re-sacrifice the body of Christ because His sacrifice 2,000 years ago was sufficient. It was full. And besides that, the Scriptures themselves tell us this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, which says, but when Christ had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down on the right hand of God. And so, in fidelity to the teachings of Scripture, 
Protestant churches, of which ours is an outgrowth from, recognize the, the priority of scriptural commandment and give honor to what the Word of God is clearly teaching. In fact, this year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, out of which our church, as I said, had arisen. About 500 years ago, 500 years ago, an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 concerns that he had with the church's teachings. He nailed them to the wall of Wittenberg Chapel. And he saw these as completely in contrast to what the Scriptures were teaching and what the church was teaching. As you can imagine, this didn't sit very well with the leadership of the church. And so, a council and a trial was prepared to condemn Luther. And at the trial, all of Luther's works were put out in front of him and said, are you prepared to recant all of these things that you have staked your life upon? And now, the famous words that Luther said at that trial are these, unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or councils alone, since it's well known that they often err and contradict each other. I am bound to the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I can do no other. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. And history has shown that God did preserve the life of Luther by some very influential men within German society in that day. And so today, we can be thankful for the courage that he had, which has pushed and even put pressure on even the Catholic Church to allow us to have the freedom of the written word in our own hands. We have the written word of God that which we can be thankful for. Paul here gives thanks. He's, he's, the Eucharist in this context, he's giving thanks for the word of God that was spoken and received and heard and bore fruit in the lives of these believers. And when Paul is speaking here of the Word of God, he's talking about it in a way that's not static. It's vibrant. It's, it's dynamic. It's living. It's not just words on a page. It's something that burns and moves and convicts. It's empowered, if you will, and is indeed empowered by the Holy Spirit speaking the words of truth. So, Paul here is giving thanks to God for His life-giving, the life-giving and transforming Word that exists in us. And so, I think that we ought to follow His example. We need to be giving thanks for the Word of God. And so, just a simple outline here for us this morning, two major points, and you have something in your bulletin to, to connect with as well. But in verse 13, Paul is giving thanks, and we ought to also give thanks for the working of God's Word in us. Now, I want us to think carefully about what this is. What is the Word of God? Well, the Word of God is a multi-level word. It is um, multifaceted, if you will. It has different angles of meaning. And in the Scriptures, at times, it refers to the exact uh, words that come out of, if you will, the lips of God. When it's, there's thus saith the Lord and the, the Ten Commandments are being dictated. It's that, that direct word of God that's being poured out. 
At times, it also refers to the collection of the written history and the words of, of, of God that are contained for us in the, the pages of what we have here is the Bible. But there are times also where it refers to the gospel message itself, and I, I believe that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. But ultimately, another way of looking at the, the Word of God is that it's referring to Jesus Himself as the living Word of God. He's the fullest expression of who, who God is. But as I said here, Paul is very likely referring to the Word of God as being the gospel message that these people heard directly. In fact, if you look over at 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3 through 5, Paul says here, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And so, Paul is talking about here is that the message of the gospel was being heard by them, not just as the words of men, but it was coming across to them as the direct revelation of God Himself to them. There was power of the Holy Spirit there doing a work inside their heart to make them see that this just wasn't common. This was not just some other mystery religion that was around in their day. And it was working in them. This, this work of the Word and in them is, a, is the Holy Spirit convicting and, and communicating deeply and changing. And I want us to see here as we think about this, about giving thanks for the Word, how we respond to the Word of God is directly related to the work of God in our hearts. There, the Holy Spirit comes into and convicts us and creates a new dynamic within our lives. He creates a new desire set that, that sees everything from the way God sees it. And because God has communicated, the Holy Spirit resonates within our hearts and does a work of saying, yes, I want that too. I want what God wants. And these people were fully convicted that the message about Jesus was from God Himself. That was a work of the Holy Spirit working inside of their hearts. And I think we can ask ourselves, ourselves a, a thought-provoking question through this. As we think about the Scriptures, because we have the written Word of God here, how do we look at the Word of God, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit Himself? How do we, how do we look at it? Are we fully convicted in our own hearts that this is thus saith the Lord? How we look at it is going to have a profound effect upon our desire for it, appreciation for it, our longing for it. I could go into all kinds of rational explanation here this morning about this being the inspired and errant Word of God written by 40 different authors over 1,400 years and being at complete harmony with one another and kind of convince you on a rational level that this is the Word of God. But I suspect that if you're here this morning that you intellectually on that level believe that this is the Word of God. But do we really believe it as it's communicating truth that we desperately need? How do we see it? 
Do we see it just merely as something that we can pick up every once in a while and just, it's kind of helpful? Or is it something that we desperately need? Do we see it not just as the Dear Abby column in the newspaper or the latest blog entry that has kind of passing value? This is the written Word of God. How do we see it? Well, it'll come about how do, we, how do we give thanks for this? We, you know, we have, how, do we, or how do we respond to the Word of God? I guess the next question here that we need to ask about this, what is the Word of God? But we also have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to God's Word? They, people there obviously responded very well. But, you know, you can have a very rational asp- approach to presentation about this being the Word of God and give reasons for it, but the real evidence of it being the Word of God is how it changes people. It changes people from the inside out. I mean, you take the Word of God and you simply just read it without any kind of a preset opinion, and you just think about the things it's saying. The Word of God will move in your heart in very unique ways. It was a very popular song a while ago. I don't know how popular it is today. Ancient Words ever true. Maybe you've heard that song. Does it change you? Is it changing you? That there is the real evidence of the Word of God and its authenticity as it does a work of change inside of you. There's a, there were a couple of things that came to my mind as I was preparing this this week and Reminders from church history of how God marvelously moved in unexpected ways with the Word of God. And as the Word of God was being taught, I was thinking of Jonathan Edwards, and he was in the early 18th century. He was the very foundation, the founding of this country in New England. And he, he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And as he preached that sermon, he, you know, I have used a manuscript I'm not so tied to a manuscript as I used to be, but Jonathan Edwards would actually read it, and it would be monotone presentation. And it'd be like you'd rather hear like, the, like a felt telephone book being read. But something happened when he was preaching that, that the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of people and they responded and their hearts were broken and the sin that was in their lives began to be repented of, and became the, the, the birthplace of a great revival that swept throughout New England. God did it. Independent of drama and personality, and he just simply proclaimed the Word of God. I have thought of another example of George Whitfield, who is preacher even at the time of Edwards, and he was a preacher in England, and he did some tours here in North America. And uh, there was a, a, a group of men that were very bitterly opposed to his teaching. They called themselves the Hellfire Club, and they tried to imagine anything possibly that could be remotely sinful, that, and they just pursued it. And while they were at the pubs, they would often get a crowd together, and one of the guys would stand up and start preaching like, like George Whitfield and mocking him. And one of the men by the name of Thorpe got up, and as he was preaching, he was quoting Scripture that he had heard Whitfield 
preach, and he couldn't even finish the mockery. His heart was broken down, and he repented, and he turned to Christ and became an evangelist himself. I mean, the Holy Spirit can penetrate with the Word into our hearts deeply. But you know, it is through the faithful meditation on the Word of God that it changes us. I think of even my own heart and life. As I read the Word of God, I'm prayerfully trying to engage with the Word of God. And it's not always a monumental moment. But there are some that come along that encourage you that God is speaking through His Word. I mean, even I, I recall last, it was probably uh, last fall, I was, just, I was just really moved to spend some time in the Psalms again. And as I was reading through Psalm 20, I, not, not a psalm that's very well known, I was, con, I was really struck in my own heart that I, in my own heart, need to love others at the expense of myself. That m- some of my actions hadn't been very helpful. And in my own heart, my heart was being broken by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicting my heart, and there was like a little revival taking place in my heart. Then I give thanks for this, and He mercifully began to heal a root of bitterness that was in my heart, and I'm so thankful. That's the power of the Word of God. How do we look at it? How do we respond to it? We'll often be based upon how necessary we see the Word of God is. And that's the third question here. How necessary is the Word of God for us? How necessary? No, a lack of desire to know God may be an indication that we really don't know Him as well as we think. I mean, Paul is saying here, give thanks to God for the I'm giving thanks to God for the work that He has done in your heart. It wasn't all me in my ministry with you. It was the Word of God doing a work there. Now, when we give thanks to somebody, we only really give thanks to other people if we can see clearly that it was all of them. We tend to hold back when we contribute to it. I think it's important for us to realize the significance of what's being communicated here. Paul is giving thanks for the action of God to do a work inside of their hearts that he wasn't able to do. He was giving thanks for the graciousness of salvation. You see, gratitude really only wells within us when we, when we recognize just how needy we really are and how desperately we need it. And a thanksgiving turns into a desire. It becomes into a wellspring of, I need this. I can't survive without this. Just this week, it was Wednesday, my alarm clock went off, and uh, the lady on the, the first words that came out of that alarm clock, uh, radio, this one read, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making 
it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not escape, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. As I was sitting there thinking, laying in bed thinking, yes, that's, that's what we need. We need the word of God. And Wednesday I came down with bronchitis. I'm thinking, I need medicine. Well, yeah, I need medicine, but I need, the, I need God to do something here in my heart, in my body. But more than that, I need something, I need him to do something in my soul. I need his word. I need it desperately. Let's see, the evidence of a desire for God will come in that, do we desire the living word in any form it comes in? Do we desire and hunger for the written word? It's so desperately needed within our lives. Do we give thanks for the word of God at work inside of us? If the word of God is not working inside of us, we won't give thanks and we won't have a real desire for the word. But if we've genuinely had a conversion in our heart and we're, we, we, we recognize that it's him that's done this and not we ourselves, it ought to cause us to realize that then his word is so necessary for our life. We need to give thanks for the word, but we also need to give thanks for the endurance that God's word produces. And that's in verses 14 to 16. Paul's saying, hey, the evidence that the word of God was effective in your life and is continuing to grow you is the fact that you endure persecution. It's continuing to do a work inside of you. This root of the word of God is taking root within you, and they, they're having the same pattern of persecution that, that occurred in the teaching of Jesus as the word was being communicated. He was a threat to the establishment, just as the apostles were a threat to the leadership in Judea and persecution took place. Now their own countrymen in Thessalonica are actually trying to destroy them now. But they're not giving in. They're enduring through. They're enduring through. You see, Jesus makes this point in the parable of the soils. Remember the parable of the soils. The sower sows the seed. He's putting out the seed. He's broadcasting it. And some of it lands in different spots, and it's different kinds of heart soil it's falling into. It falls on stony hearts. It falls on thorn-infested hearts, it, on shallow hearts. And in all of these hearts, the true word of the God is always going to be tested by hardship, whether or not it's taken roots. And the test of our faith is what it takes to stop us. And sadly, here in America, it doesn't take a whole lot to stop us. It could be a coach who threatens us to bench our children's if we make God and His house a priority. It could be the lure of overtime. It could be the desire to have a Pinterest life that I can display on Facebook for all my friends to see and know. But all these things are just revelations of the heart. We don't do anything because we don't want to. We don't do things. People can't make us do anything that we don't want to do. 
And it might mean that for there truly to be growth that takes place in our hearts, that we're willing to endure the persecution that will come when we say no and we block off and we allow the Word of God to take priority inside our hearts. When we say, here I stand, I can do no other, God will bless and God will change the world through us. But you need to know that your perseverance will one day be vindicated. This is the hope. There's warning here, but there is hope here. In verses 15 and 16, he says, he's talking about how these people who had killed the Lord Jesus Christ were accumulating the wrath of God upon them, and eventually it's going to fall. It's going to come. And what Paul is saying here, God's wrath is going to come at last. And he's not saying that with a gleeful attitude. He's recognizing that even in all of, all of, of Paul's writings, he recognizes that he himself was hardened in his persecution of the church. But he recognizes that he himself, that he himself was a, a recipient of the grace of God but he recognizes that in the persecution, though, there's a dangerous edge that they're running towards. They're going towards the cliff. And so, Paul is saying here, their unbelief is so hard that there is going to be a future hell prepared for them, and their unbelief now will be something that will be there for all of eternity. They haven't seen the Word of God as the Word of God. They haven't accepted it as the truth. So the hardness of the heart now is a precursor for the hardness that will be there for all of eternity. But even then, God is still merciful. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Paul knew that. But he's also communicating that one day you follow fast with the Lord one day you'll be vindicated. I'm going to close with this kind of imaginative story. There's a story told of a day when the sun didn't rise. Six o'clock came, and there was no sign of dawn. At seven o'clock, there was still no ray of light. At noon, it was as black as midnight. No birds were singing. You only hear an owl that broke the silence. And then came the long black hours of the afternoon. Finally, evening arrived, arrived and no one could, could even sleep at night because people were worried about what was happening. There was just pitch darkness and there was no light anywhere. And it remained that all that night as well. And after that night of terror, because people were anxious about the fact that there was no light anywhere, they all looked where they thought the east was, looking, hoping, and longing. And when the sky began to glow a little bit of red, and the sun began to rose, Millions of lips began to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The sun was rising out of the blackness and the darkness. 
Now, it's an imaginative story. But if we were without the light for even 24 hours, we would be in the same state of frenzy, thinking about the dread of what might be. But you know, I think that's a good, helpful illustration, perhaps, that the constancy of the blessings of God, they're fresh every morning. They're new every morning. And those are wonderful mercies of God, but they kind of cause us to become dull in our sense of gratitude for those things. You know, the Word of God has been described as a lamp and a light unto our feet. And it is more than just light reading. It also imparts, like the sun, energy and vitality. And the Word of God goes into our souls and does a work that maybe we don't always see immediately, but we have to have faith believing that it will. And so I want us to think and consider our own hearts. Do we give thanks for the Word of God? Are we joyful for it? It's going to be seen in our desires and how we navigate life. So let's not neglect such a precious gift that we have. Let's give thanks for the transforming Word of God to us and in us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for the Word of God that came to us, that spoke to us the truth, the truth of Your Son who died for us, shed His blood for us, So help us now in gratitude to live for Him. Take advantage of the words that we have, the precious words of life that are found in the Word of God. And may we grow by them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.